It's time for Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Sundays through Thursdays, NBC brings you Fibber, McGee, and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. Before we get into our story, let's see what the McGees are talking about. McGee tossed me that ball of yarn, low and outside, boy. What's this low and outside business? <laughs> I'm getting hip to the baseball jargon that's in Prudential's new book, Baseball for Boys. Oh. You know, after reading Ed Matthews' article on how to bat, I bet even I could knock the cover off that old apple. Radio ratings peaked in 1948, and the networks used excess profits to help launch TV. By 1950, NBC, CBS, and ABC were filling their entire primetime TV schedule. Snyder and the Phillies Robin Roberts give straight from the dugout tips on playing every position. And how about those pictures, McGee? After 18 years as one of radio's highest-rated weekly shows, Fibber, McGee, and Molly began airing five nights per week for 15 minutes on October 5, 1953. Want your free copy real quick? Write a postcard with your name and address and the words Baseball for Boys on it. Send it to Fibber McGee and Molly, Box 1212, Newark, New Jersey. That's Box 1212, Newark, New Jersey. Or just ask your Prudential agent. So then the babe says to Gehrig, Lou, he says, I still claim with a man on first and second and nobody out, the best thing to do against a left-handed pitcher is single to deep left field. Oh, boy, way out there, what did Lou Gehrig say? Lou, what'd he say? Well, sir, they had quite a hot discussion about it till finally the babe stands up and he says, Look, what are you and me and Lefty Gomez sitting here arguing for when all we got to do is ask our old friend Fib here? He'll know, he says. Oh, boy. Naturally, all eyes turn to me. I knew the answer all along, of course, but... <laughs> Oh, hi, Molly. I uh, I didn't see you standing there. Uh, hi. That's all right. Go on. I'm a baseball fan, too, Slugger. I'd love to hear about your big league experiences. Uh, yeah. Well, it's getting kind of late, Teeny. You better run along. He was just telling me about the good old days, Miss McGee, when he used to sit around the Yankee dugout. It's pretty late, Teeny. Your mother's probably waiting oh, for Oh, boy. Look at what he gave me, Miss McGee, that he had in the attic. A baseball that he had autographed by a very dear friend of his. Look. <coughs> hmm. Let's see. To the grand old man of baseball, Fibber McGee. From his good friend, Babe Ruth? Yeah, well, now it's four o'clock, Tini. You, you better go straight home now. Your mother's probably worried about you, straight so... Straight home? With a genuine Babe Ruth autographed baseball? Are you kidding? Hmm? <laughs> I'm going to show this to everybody, I betcha. Oh, my gosh, I hadn't figured on you going... Especially around. that big deal, Willie Toops. Him and his autographed movie star photos. <laughs> and I'm going to say to him, so what if you do have a picture signed by the original Ren Tin Tin? I got a baseball signed by the original Babe Ruth. Now, wait a minute, Teeny. That's what I'll tell him, boy. Thanks, mister. This is wonderful. Teeny! Hmm. Gone. Honestly, McGee, filling that child's head with those silly stories is just awful. Well, gee whiz, Molly. I was just trying to make Teeny happy, that's all. So she's got an autographed baseball, and she thinks it was signed by Babe Ruth. So that's the main thing. She's happy. You know how kids are. I sure do, kid. When I said I used to sit around the Yankee dugout, she was just tickled to death. And if you could have saw the way her eyes lit up every time I mentioned Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig or Christy Matthewson. Christy Matthewson? You sat around that Yankee dugout a long time, didn't you? Oh, well. It was around the early 1900s, if my information is correct, that Matthewson was burning him in. 
And for the Giants at that. Well, Teeny don't care about technicalities like what team they were on. She just wants to hear... Parker, the... boy! Be right there, Mr. Oldtimer. I better get dinner started. Oh, hi, daughter. Where will I put this box of groceries? They're blocking my view, and I'm dying to get a look at the grand old man of baseball. <laughs> Anywhere's all right. I guess you saw Teeny with that baseball I gave her. Oh, there you are, Taurus. Oh, cut it out. If you mean Cobb, his name is Tyrus, not Taurus. Well, I don't mean Cobb. I mean from the 1st of April to the last of September. Taurus, the bull. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you sure you got those dates right? I always thought the Zodiac season... I'm talking about the baseball season, daughter. And if that doesn't bring out the bull in every red-blooded American male, I don't know what does. I'll go along with that. Hey, who do you think will win the National League pennant, Johnny? Well, now, if you really want to know, I'll just tell you. I figure Milwaukee's got a pretty good chance because Milwaukee? <laughs> Look, let me explain something to you about baseball, old time. Tell him about sitting around the Yankee dugout. I don't mean that. I know baseball because I played baseball. I put in a whole season with Tara Hutt in the three-eye league one year. Is that so? Sit down, I'll tell you about it. Molly, break out a couple of root beers, will you? Dearie, I've got to fix dinner. I don't mind if I do, daughter. If the root beer's good and cold... Otherwise, I'll just take a hot one. Played for Terry Hutt, did you, Johnny? Old-timer, the year I played baseball in the three-eye league with Terry Hutt, I hung up a record that still stands. Eleven no-hit games in one season. Eleven no-hit games? Was that your pitching record? No, that was my batting record. But I'm telling you, boy, the way they play ball nowadays, if I was in there... <laughs> Back to Wistful Vista in a minute. As America moved west after World War II, turning farms into suburbs, and western towns into cities. The pattern of radio listening was changing. The desire to expand the major leagues into new cities gained traction thanks to an upstart league known as the Continental League. In order to block its entry into the marketplace, Major League Baseball finally expanded in 1961. When the Washington Senators moved to Minnesota before the 61 season to become the Twins, Washington received a new Senators franchise. Thanks to the success of the Dodgers, the AL added the Los Angeles Angels, upping the junior circuit to 10 teams. The following year, the National League added the Colt 45s, who in 1964 changed their name to the Astros, and the New York Metropolitans, colloquially known as the Mets. One by one, old stadiums were being torn down. Ebbets Field in 1960, the Polo Grounds in 1964. Both sites are now occupied by housing projects. New stadiums were often multi-purpose, able to accommodate both football and baseball. Like with baseball, how America got its entertainment was also changing. By 1960, scripted radio drama was dying out as shows either move to TV or are canceled. 
Although baseball would still be broadcast on the radio, fans now tuned into TV for their favorite games. A new generation of sportscasters emerged, like former Yankee shortstop Phil Rizzuto. When I got the job, what I liked about it, I never liked to do anything on tape. And in those days, we did everything live. And I'd say, oh, the first 12 years, every show was live. And I loved that because I like challenges and you had to be right on time and all the cues had to be right. And if you're fluffed, you had to just keep right on going. I got a big break in two ways with Lowell Thomas. Lowell Thomas kind of liked me and uh, was like a father to me and taught me so much about broadcasting. He got me to uh, enunciate a little more clearly. Being from Brooklyn, uh, a lot of people didn't quite understand what I was saying. And he did it in such a way that it didn't upset me or anything bother me. It was constructive criticism. Plus the fact that I followed Lowell Thomas in about the first 10 years. And a lot of people just wouldn't turn. You know how people are. They got the dial on that one station they want. And so I would get the overflow from Lowell's broadcasts, and it helped me tremendously, and he helped me tremendously in my career. And they can't Rizzuto called Roger Maris's record-breaking 61st home run at Yankee Stadium on October 1st, 1961. And the new team... Waiting to see if Maris is going to hit number 61. Here's the windup. The pitch to Roger, way outside, ball one. And the fans are starting to move. Harris only has, including this time, three times at bat. And unless the Yankees get a rally, that's all he'll have to try and get number 61 on the year. The windup, the pitch, low balls too. That one was in the dirt. And the boos get louder. Two balls, no strikes on Roger Maris. Here's the windup. Fastball hits deep to right. It could be it. Way back there. Oh, he's out. He's out. He's out. He's out. Rizzuto had a respectable playing career, winning the 1950 AL MVP award. But it was his work as a Yankees announcer that got him voted into the MLB Hall of Fame in 1994. In 1956, while the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn, Jackie Robinson was putting the finishing touches on his remarkable career. That December 13th, the Dodgers traded Robinson to the Giants for Dick Littlefield and $30,000. Jackie opted to retire rather than report and move to San Francisco. Within a few years, he was hosting his own syndicated radio show, Jackie Robinson's Radio Shots. In 1960, 
he interviewed perhaps the most famous African-American pitcher in history, Satchel Paige. Today my guest will be Leroy Satchel Paige, one of the greatest pitchers of all times. In the twilight of his fabulous career, Satch came to the majors, and in my humble opinion, if Satchel Paige had come to the majors in his prime, he would have rewritten all of the record books. Satchel, I read quite frequently about Negro baseball. They say that Negro baseball players have played as many as four baseball games in one day. Has this ever happened to you? Yes, it has, Jackie. We used to play in the morning, then in the evening, in the twilight, then a night game. Did you ever have to pitch more than one game on any one given day? Yeah, I pitched in doubleheader. Sometimes I pitched the first two. Satch, you pitched in both the American National League? Yes, I did. Uh-huh. Is there a difference in the hitters in these leagues, or do you have to pitch in the American League the same way as you did in the National League? I pitch the same way, Jack. I just pitch out to every man. I stay on the outside corner until all batters low, on mm-hmm. their knees, make them reach for the ball. Is there a particular story that stands out in your mind, a personal triumph for Satchel Page, which would illustrate the kind of pitcher that everyone knows you to be? Yes. When I, I was given a try to go nine innings when I was with Cleveland, in Chicago, and they sent Bob Feller and Bob Lemons to the bullpen to come get me if I didn't go the route. Mm-hmm. And I went the route, and I shut Chicago out again after I was in Chicago. The next day, Bob Feller pitched, I went and got him. Next day, Lemon pitched, and I went and got him. <laughs> Three days in a row, huh? Yeah. Well, that's the kind of arm. How is this your arm stood up? Is it a certain kind of training that you did? No, Jack, I stays in condition when I first get into it. You know, when we first go out yeah. to train, we, well, I'll never get out of condition. Mm-hmm. Now, I really think that sometimes we have too many pitchers like in the big league, and they just don't have a chance to pitch, and that's when they go stale. Uh-huh. But see, I have to be on the diamond every day. Sats, your real name is Leroy, right? That's right. How did you happen to get the name of Satchel? Jack, when I was a kid, I had a suitcase, and I used to have the balls and bats and mitts and everything belonged to me. And if they didn't let me play where I want to, I would take my suitcase and go home. <laughs> That's quite interesting. It's like years ago when we used to play out in California. It was the same thing. Kids do it all the time. And uh, it's another interesting story and another sidelight on Satchel Page. We played a ball game in Kansas City, Satch. You were driving your car. We left Kansas City Sunday night, rode on that bus from Sunday night until Tuesday morning, got into Philadelphia, played a twi-night doubleheader. How is it that you were able to perform day in and day out, living under the conditions that you were? Well, Jack, it's the only thing I can see that at, when we was back playing like that, we used to ride with our knees up under our chin and four and five hundred miles and we couldn't eat correctly at times. And then we'd get out and didn't have time to stretch and jump on maybe one of the best clubs in Philly. And it'd be a one or two nothing game. And we'd done that for years, not only just one year. That's the way we did until you got in the majors. What is the most important thing for a man to be successful? I remember uh, the great stories that they told about Satchel Paige used to walk three men just to get a Josh Gibson to challenge the greatest hitter, I think, that baseball has produced. This guy uh, was fantastic, in my opinion. Uh, What was this, the challenge? Is it just a personal thing between you and Josh? Yes, we was playing in Puerto Rico, and uh, I was playing against Josh. I was playing with Sinclair, and he's playing with St. Ferguson. I'd beat him that day, and he told me one of these days uh, his family was going to be at the baseball park in Gus Greenlee, and he named the whole lot of big crowd people was in Pittsburgh, and that he was going to hit me over the fence. And so I got with the Kansas City Monarchs, and he still was with the Grays. And so we come up there to play him, and it was two out. So I, I walked the bases to get to Josh. Then I walked up and told him, I said, here's the chance. <laughs> what happened? 
I threw him three balls. I threw him two fastballs and one curveball. And he sat down, huh? Yeah. Well, that's the kind of arm. How is it that uh, uh, your arm uh, is able to stand up under these pressures? You pitched because you were the drawing card in, in the Negro Leagues. You would go in and pitch two or three, four innings every day, uh, or else the people wouldn't come out. How is it your arm stood up? Do you diet? I see. Does that help you stay in diet, or can you eat anything you want, or are you picky with your food? Well, I got to be picky with it because I have a gastric stomach. I've been at it. Oh, what, what do you do? I've got a stomach that's causing me some trouble. <laughs> Maybe I can get an idea of what I can do for mine. Well, I started taking goat milk, and it helped me a lot. Goat milk? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, let <laughs> Maybe I'll tell my wife about this. Maybe she'll bring me some goat milk and see if that'll help my stomach. Sats, thanks a lot for being with us, and good luck with your career. And you're welcome. And that just about does it for now, fans. See you soon. Jackie Robinson was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. Robinson was also the first African-American TV analyst in MLB history, and the first African-American vice president of a major corporation, chock full of nuts. On October 15, 1972, at the second game of the World Series between the Oakland Athletics and the Cincinnati Reds at Cincinnati's Riverfront Stadium, Jackie Robinson was invited to throw out a ceremonial first pitch in honor of his 25 years of service to Major League Baseball. Complications from heart disease and diabetes made him almost blind by middle age. He used the opportunity to make one last statement to the baseball establishment. It would be Jackie Robinson's last public appearance. Welcome to the second game of the 1972 World Series. Or the land of the free and the home of the brave. And now to present baseball's award to Jackie Robinson. Here is the commissioner of baseball, Mr. Bowie Kuhn. Jackie Robinson is something special. Thank you very much, Commissioner. I'm extremely proud and pleased to be here this afternoon, but must admit I'm going to be tremendously more pleased and more proud when I look at that third base coaching line one day and see a black face managing in baseball. Thank you very much. Jackie Robinson died nine days later at his home. He was 53. His Manhattan funeral service attracted 2,500 mourners. Many of his former teammates were pallbearers. Reverend Jesse Jackson delivered the eulogy. Today we must balance the tears of sorrow with the tears of joy. Mix the bitter with the sweet, death and life. Jackie, as a figure in history, was a rock in the water, creating concentric circles and ripples of new possibility. He was medicine. He was immunized by God from catching the diseases that he fought. 
The Lord's arms of protection enabled him to go through dangers seen and unseen, and he had the capacity to wear glory with grace. Jackie's body was a temple of God, an instrument of peace. We would watch him disappear into nothingness and stand back as spectators and watch the suffering from afar. The mercy of God intercepted this process Tuesday and permitted him to steal away home where referees are out of place and only the supreme judge of the universe speaks. April 15, 1997, the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first game at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Major League Baseball unanimously retired Robinson's number 42 across the league. He is the only man to receive such an honor. My sermon today, said the Reverend Jones, is baseball and whence it came if you take the good book and you take a good look you will find the first baseball game this coming october the world series will be played for the 119th time although in many ways baseball is a game of failure and the best players fail seven times out of ten while being affected by the same diseases and insecurities as us fans each spring is proof that hope is eternal. In 2023, new heroes will emerge, and future ones, and heroines too, will be born. And the prodigal son made a great home run. Brother Noah gave checks out for rain. Now old St. Pete was checking errors. Also had charge of the gate.